Lewis, and you're listening to Taiwan Talk. And this week we speak to Stephen Crook, who grew up in England, first arrived in Taiwan in 1991, and is an author. Since 1996, he's been writing about Taiwan's natural and cultural attractions for newspapers and magazines, including CNN Traveler, Asia Pacific, Christian Science Monitor, and various in-flight magazines. He's the author of three books about the country uh, of Taiwan: Keeping Up with the War God in 2001, Do's and Don'ts in Taiwan in 2010, and Taiwan: The Brat Travel Guide, also in 2010. And now you've released a new book this time about Taipei food. Have I missed anything in that uh, brief introduction?、Uh, I think the only important thing to add is the new food book is actually co-authored by me and、um, Katie Hong. So、um, she was the one who brought the project to me, and then、uh, we worked on it together. Tell me about the new book.、Uh, what does it cover? And、uh, is it kind of like a、uh, history of the food, or where the food is at right now? Uh, it's more a history than a description of the food scene right now, and it's actually part of a series. So、uh, the publisher in the USA, Roman and Littlefield, they've been publishing a series of what they call、uh, food biographies of cities. So each book in the series looks at a major city and explains what the people eat now, why they eat those things, and what they ate in the past, and the reasons. Why people eat those things and、uh, why the diet has changed over time. Okay, could you give us a? I don't want to give you, you know, tell you to give everything in the book, but could you give us a brief overview of why we eat what we eat today?、Um, well, obviously, what people tend to eat、uh, is based on what is available locally, and so、uh, in the first chapter of the book, we actually look at the archaeological evidence showing what people. Uh, grew and what people hunted,、um, you know, four thousand, five thousand years ago in Taiwan, and then,、uh, especially since World War Two, imported food has become much more important. Now in Taiwan, about two out of every three calories that are consumed by humans、uh, come from imported food. So, particularly、uh, imports from the USA. So that's been the, the crucial change in the last fifty, sixty, seventy years. Would you say that's the most interesting thing that you、uh, found out while delving into the history of Taiwan food?、Um, it was one of the things that surprised us most. For both of us, you know, we knew that people were eating a lot more imported food than before, and we knew that American agricultural exports to Taiwan had had a big influence. But we weren't really aware of the extent of that influence. So,、uh, for example, if you go to a restaurant now and you order a bowl of beef noodles, it's quite possible everything in your bowl, except the water and the green vegetables and the onion, comes from the USA. The beef, the flour that made the noodles, possibly any carrot or anything like that, or you know, which is in in the bowl as well,、right. may all come from the USA. Wow, that's amazing! The discovery. Yeah, and you know, beef noodles is supposedly the quintessential Taiwanese dish. Yeah, exactly.、Uh, you just would not expect that at all.、Uh, tell me about the research for the book.、Um, how did you、uh, go about finding out all the facts that you need to find out? Well,、um, as you can imagine, you know, Taiwan is a, a very food-oriented society. 
So uh, quite a few local academics have uh, been researching food history. So there's some very good Chinese language books explaining uh, you know, what people ate 100 years ago uh, and also explaining when certain fruits and vegetables began to grow in Taiwan. So a lot of the fruits and vegetables we think of now as, as very Taiwanese, for example, uh, mangoes, you know, actually were introduced from other places. The so-called native mangoes are not native mangoes at all. They're from Indonesia. They were brought by the Dutch. And then the most popular mangoes now, the Irwin mangoes, uh, were introduced by the Americans in the 1950s. Interesting. So what is uh, authentically Taiwanese or what is, uh, you know, historically come from Taiwan that we still eat today? Well, of course, a lot of the seafood, which, um, you know, we eat now, has been swimming in the seas around Taiwan for thousands of years. So, for example, like a mullet roe, which is a, has been a traditional food in South Taiwan for hundreds of years. Um, that would be one. Um, for land-based foods, of course, um, wild boar meat would be a very traditional food. And then for things you can gather from the wild, cordia droops, uh, which uh, have, you know, in English they have different names. One is manjack. Um, and they're the very small, um, they're about four or five millimeters across, and the stone in the center is most of that, so there's very little flesh. You've probably had them with fried eggs or, or vegetables. Uh, and then also there's a couple of ingredients which are associated with indigenous people, like uh, Macau, uh, M-A-Q-A-W being the main one, which is a kind of peppercorn. Uh, it's a bit like Sichuan peppercorn. I don't know if you've ever had that. I have, yes. Mm. It's not as, not as potent. Yeah. It has a distinct flavor. But uh, physically, it looks very similar. How has all the research kind of uh, changed the way you look at food here? And has it maybe changed any of your eating habits or anything like that? Um, it hasn't really changed any of my eating habits, I would say. Uh, it's broadened the kind of things I, I you know, tend to eat because now there are certain things which have always been out there, but I wasn't really aware of them. So... Um, my diet is probably a little more varied than it was beforehand. Um, the way I look at food, um, I think it's just after doing this project, I'm always looking at food more carefully. I'm always thinking more about the way it's cooked, you know, because beforehand I would go somewhere, I would have fried food, and I wouldn't really think about what they were using to fry it in. And now I'm asking myself, is it lard, which is the traditional uh, ingredient for frying food here? Is it soybean oil, which is a relatively recent addition? That's another thing that came from the USA. Uh, and that's only been really mainstream here for 40 years or so. Um, and also, now I'm aware cooking on gas is, is quite a recent thing. You know, until the 1950s, people tended to cook on open fires with wood or bamboo. Right, or even electric, electric stoves now. Well, that's right, yeah, but I, I, Taipei could be different to Tainan, but down here I don't know anyone who uses an electric stove. Oh, really? yeah, it's, it's very prevalent up here in, in, in Taipei. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. 
Interesting. But uh, so I guess there are really like, you know, like differences in all the different localities, of course. But uh, mm. so what's the favorite food that you ate that you didn't eat before? Um, that's a very good question, actually. I don't really have favorite foods. It tends to be I just want to eat something which I haven't eaten for a while. Um, so, for example, like a guabao, which um, are something I didn't really eat beforehand. Now that's something I eat from time to time. But it's, it's not something I want to eat every day. But I find it very interesting that within Taiwan, that's not, it's, not a, it's certainly not a top 10 food or even a top 20 food. And yet it's a Taiwanese food that's really caught on in New York and London and a, a couple of other places. Oh, yeah, that's uh, Guabao. That's like, uh, I saw that in Boston. So I used to live in Boston. And uh, right down the street, there was a place that it was called Bao Nation, which is all Guabao's. Yeah, it, it seems to be a really trendy food in, in quite a few Western cities. And yet in Taiwan, uh, a lot of night markets don't have it. And if you want it for breakfast, in, at least in Thailand, you have to search for, for it a bit. You never know what, what kind of food will do better in a, another cultural climate or something. Well, that's right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how long did it take for you to do all the research and then write the book? We had to do a, a proposal. We were actually... Uh, invited to propose this book by the series editor because he, uh, this is Ken Albala, he's a professor of food history in the USA, and he hasn't been to Taiwan, but he's heard so much about Taiwan, he thought Taipei would be an excellent addition to this series. So, um, you know, through various people who know people, we were invited to uh, make a proposal for the book. So actually making the proposal took quite a bit of time. And then when that was accepted, um, it was over a year um, between actually getting the contract to completing the book. And then, of course, after the book was completed, uh, you know, we had to do some revisions and things like this. So the whole project was about two years, maybe a bit more than two years. Um, I couldn't give you an, you know, and I wasn't working. I wasn't working full time on it. Uh, neither was Katie, um, so I, I couldn't really tell you in terms of man hours or man weeks how long it took. It took quite a long time, though. Yeah, it, it seems like it would be a very extensive project to take on. Well, that's right, and also, you know, for some of the things we researched, we would do several hours of research or, or read an entire book, and it ends up as two sentences in our book. You know, you never know how much you're going to get at the end of the day. Uh, but that's, that, it's not something I resent because all of the reading I did, even if it didn't make it into the book, uh, it's things I learned. Right. Could you give an example of uh, something that you learned that didn't make its way into the book? Um, a lot. You know, one of the things I was uh, particularly interested in before really getting into the project, was agricultural economics in Taiwan. Um, you know, my wife is from a, fam from a farming family, and so I can see the economic pressures on farmers here because, you know, they're battling against imports, they're battling against the cost of land, the cost of inputs like water, electricity, labor. Um, so there was a lot of information I found out about the challenges farmers face here, which 
didn't really fall within the scope of the book. Okay, what sort of challenges do they face? Probably the most important challenge is that the young people in Taiwan, very few young people want to go into farming. It's one of the least desirable occupations. Um, so the average age of farmers now is 60-something. They have very little land per farmer. They have less land than farmers in Japan, for example. Uh, one reason for that is inheritance laws in Taiwan. Farms tend to get broken up each time uh, you know, they're passed on to the next generation. And, of course, it, with modern farming, mechanized farming, uh, very small fields are you know, troublesome. You need a large field, then you can really make the most of uh, mechanization. Uh, another problem is I think Taiwan's government doesn't really value farming in the way they should. Yes, they throw money at the farming sector, but um, because of Taiwan's relationship with the USA, Taiwan has to open its markets a lot more than, for example, uh, Japan. But there are certain niches which are doing very well in Taiwan. For example, organic agriculture is doing well. Um, certain crops, for example, mushrooms and fruit are doing very well. But that tends to be because domestic demand is so strong, uh, not through uh, exporting. Okay, interesting. Uh, this sounds like something that could be in your next book or something like that. Um, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of these, you know, it's the food history of Taiwan. It's such a broad subject. There are so many topics within it which could become books in their own right. Um, and that's reflected in the existing Chinese language scholarship. You know, there's an entire book on when certain fruits were introduced to Taiwan. Um, so we were drawing on that very detailed scholarship to do a more general overall oversight of the, of the situation. I see. So do you have any future books uh, or future ideas that you want to explore coming up? Um, not at the moment, no. I mean, I, I should do. I should start thinking about the next one. But no, just, uh, you know, while, while doing the food book, I kind of put a lot of other things on the back burner, like updating my guidebook. So as soon as the food book was finished, I was kind of updating my guidebook, and that's updated now, so I should actually, you know, get down and try and think of something else to do. Okay, well, I mean, I think I look forward to it, and everybody else will. Uh, where can we find the book, and, and what's the full title? Okay, the full title is A Culinary History of Taipei Beyond Pork and Pon Lai. So because the series of books are focused on cities, you know, we had to call it Taipei, but actually it's about all of Taiwan. And the subtitle, Beyond Pork and Pon Lai, um, pork obviously was the main meat and continues to be the number one meat, but now people tend to eat a lot more chicken and beef. And then pon lai is actually the type of rice, which uh, is the most popular type of rice eaten here, which was actually uh, created by Japanese uh, agricultural scientists in the 1920s. Oh. And then uh, where, where the book is available, um, you can order it from the usual online bookstores, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can order it direct from the publisher. 
I am told by the publisher it will be appearing in bookstores in East Asia very soon. Uh, but I, I haven't been given a date on that. Okay, excellent. All right, Steve Crooks, uh, thanks for coming on Taiwan Talk. My pleasure. Thank you.